Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're delighted to have you back again this week. This week is lesson number 12. We're closing in on the very end of this quarter. We've covered a lot of ground, but there's yet a little bit to go. And today we're looking at a fascinating subject, the question of the biblical worldview. What difference does it make in our lives today, whether we believe what the Bible teaches on this subject or not? Is it just academic? Is it uh, intellectual? Or is there some real world difference that it makes in our lives today? So the biblical worldview. We're delighted once again also to have back with us Dr. Alberto Tim. He is the associate director of the Ellen G. White Estate, and we're delighted to have you back again, also the author of the Sabbath School lesson. Welcome back, Alberto. It's an honor for me to be with you. So what about the biblical worldview? What difference does it make? I'm going to read a couple of Bible passages here and give me your thoughts on these. I'm going to start with 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. In 1 John 3, verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And I want to tack on to that our memory text for this week, which is found in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm not what I would consider a biblical scholar, but it sounds like from these two verses our lives should be impacted by what we're studying. Actually, you don't need to be a biblical scholar or a theologian to understand the passages because those are very clear. In reality, uh, our hope for the future has a strong impact on our lives today. Our understanding of human nature has an impact and how, and how we see the final outcome of uh, our lives as well. If I am just a grown-up animal, I can behave like some uh, animals that are not so friendly among themselves. But if I was created in God's image and likeness, as the Bible says, and that there is a purpose in life, and that I am expecting the glorious day of the second coming and live eternity in heaven, it has a strong impact in our lives today. I don't know what is your political stand or whatever, but let's suppose that you would receive in your place the most important host that you ever received. I think that at least you would try to clean your place and to make it look as nice as possible before that host would arrive. The same thing happens with us if we have a glorious outcome and not only the grave, we will try to live up to that standard that God has um, would expect us to live. And especially the passage even says of First John that we will see him. 
So it's not a matter just of listening about him or something. No, we'll be in his presence, and that makes all the difference. So the knowledge that Christ is returning soon, the knowledge that, that we're responsible for, for how we prepare uh, in these verses, that it, this idea should impact our lives. There, there is an idea also uh, floating around out there, probably a little more prevalent than floating around out there, that there's a, a, a difference, there are different parts of your life. There's the spiritual life, there's the physical life, and that these are not necessarily intertwined. Again, these verses seem to indicate that that's not the case. Well, uh, actually, there are some people that really believe that to be the spiritual life only counts when I go to Mass or to worship service at the church, wherever I go. But my daily life does not count so much because I have moments of spirituality in a certain sense. But this is a wrong idea because if we believe that a human body is a whole integrated and not this idea that uh, like the Greek philosophy has, has really set a trend for it, that's the material is bad, my body is bad, and my soul is something to be redeemed and to be perfected. And so for the Greek philosophers, it was through philosophy itself. And for other ones, by spiritual actions or whatever, whatever else you, you need to do for your spiritual life. But if this, the human being is a whole, complete and this is the biblical view, everything counts of us uh, as a human being and all the time as well. And you know, that, that makes a lot of sense when we compare it with everything else that the Bible says on the subject. In fact, what comes to mind is Christ's ministry. The Bible says that Christ went about preaching and teaching and healing. So he was dealing with every part of the whole person, wasn't he? Oh, definitely so. He himself grew, uh, grew in all these areas, uh, uh, in grace to God, to human beings, in a social, and so on. Uh, he's, he had that kind of integrated growth, and his ministry was in this way as well. Otherwise, I would say that he should just preach yeah, and, and he, not teach and, and heal. <laughs> But he did. He went about, he preached, he taught, he healed. It was an integrated ministry, an integrated life. And he changed the lives of the people that he interacted with, not just on a spiritual level, but on a physical level as well, didn't he? Uh, absolutely. Actually, in the early part of his earthly ministry, he even performed more miracles, at least according to the Gospels, because not everything is being recorded in the Gospels. But uh, from what we can see, he was performing more miracles and uh, signs than actually teaching so much. And the later part, he taught more and a little bit less. I don't know if this is a nice assessment to it, but at least some, some authors suggest it. But anyway, it was a whole package. So that was 2,000 years ago. Now we live... Well, 2,000 years later, and these concepts don't apply to someone that I never knew who lived over in the Middle East, uh, but now they apply to me. So what about 
the choices that I make, the decisions that I make in my life, uh, is Christ concerned about my spiritual life, my physical life, my, my mental uh, life as well, emotional, uh, all of that together? Well, why don't you read for us? Because we have a, pa- I mean, a couple of passages that are that help to respond it, and this is First Corinthians chapter six, verses nineteen and twenty, and then later on First Corinthians ten thirty one. All right, let's take a look at those. This is First Corinthians six verses nineteen and twenty. Paul writes, "Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you?" whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I'm going to go over to that other verse you mentioned, 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 31, which says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So these passages talk about us being, well, first of all, bought with a price, and then glorifying God in the way that we live our lives. What is Talk a little bit about that price and how we can glorify him. Of course, the price, I would say we were created. First of all, we, we belong to the Lord by creation. But the price of our redemption was the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary. And he not only died for us, he lived a life of suffering, uh, And so when I accept Christ, I don't accept only his death on the cross. I accept also his life that is placed uh, in my place, in other words, uh, granted to me. But in this case here, we believe that uh, Paul was an apostle and inspired by the Holy Spirit. He even said, stated here that our own body is a temple. So it does not replace the heavenly sanctuary temple. So don't misunderstand me because then you could go to the other extreme saying, well, if I am a temple, that's enough. No, that's not the case. It's not enough because there is a real sanctuary temple in heaven where Jesus ministers. But at the same time, Paul is clear saying that we are a temple and as such, we should take care of it. And this, uh, it not says only that whatever you eat, or drink, but everything else should be very much in place. In other words, if you have a fancy car, is not my case, but maybe you have a fancy car, you would not put uh, the cheapest oil there or whatever in it, or the fuel, the one that's not the best one. You would try to do the best to keep it running well. And so, to the standard. The same thing is this. Religion is not just a matter of going to attend church or mass or reading the Bible, but it, it is a, a whole complete package. All time of my life in every circumstances. So it does not mean that I am okay with the church, but uh, I am not so honest in my transactions, for instance. No. Honesty should be a characteristic in my understanding is a universal principle. There is not this matter of saying, well, my culture is not as honest as other culture or this. No, 
I think that there is the culture of the kingdom of heaven that prevails above our own culture. And in this case, I think that that's the reason why we should take care of our bodies, of our mind, our social uh, dimension, how we relate to other ones, not only take care of ourselves, but also help to take care of those who are in need. So the gospel itself is far broader than some people uh, believe. So, so Christianity then is what we might call a holistic faith with a W, W-H-O-L, as opposed to H-O-L, a holistic faith that encapsulates and encompasses every aspect of our being, what we say, where we go, who we talk to, uh, how we interact with people, our thoughts, every element of who we are is part of the Christian walk. And it's, it's the biblical worldview. It's the view that Christ had, and hopefully it's the view that we have. I want to encourage you, if you are enjoying this study, make sure you enjoy it even more by picking up the companion book to this quarter's lesson. You can find it at itiswritten.shop. It's called On Death, Dying, and the Future Hope. And it gives greater and deeper insights into what we've been looking at this week and will continue to look at in the future. We're going to be back in just a couple of minutes as we continue our look at a biblical worldview. We'll see you in just a moment. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. Itiswritten.study. Go further. Itiswritten.study. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800-253-3000, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We are looking at a biblical worldview, how the topic that we've been studying this quarter impacts our lives in a real way, especially as it, as it pertains to the future hope that we have. So we just looked at how God cares about our entire beings, not just one element of it or another, but we are entire beings, and all of that is important. Included in that is our thoughts, our mind, if you will. And I wanted to read a passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. And then, Alberto, I'm going to invite you to respond to this a little bit and, and draw it out a little more. It says, For who has known the mind of him that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. That's an interesting statement. Oh, yes, definitely so. In reality, you will see that uh, in our culture in general, and the Bible is not an exception, there is the reference to the heart as being the center of emotions and so on. But 
when it mentions about this, the heart is basically the reference to the mind. The mind is really the capital or whatever, the engine of whatever else happens in our lives. Uh, you will see that uh, we are what we think. And so if you are much exposed to things that do not build up very much, your, your thoughts will be in that line. So there is no, no reason why it should be different. Even you have two chapters in the Gospels. For instance, you have uh, Matthew 15 and you have Mark 7 that speaks that all kinds of evil come from the heart, from our most inner part. So this is to, to be, to have the mind of Christ, I think, is to be exposed to that that builds faith, to have a relationship with Christ. And when we start our, our journey with the Lord, the tendency is that God's will and my will are in a, quite a struggle. Does not mean that we will come to a point where there is no tension because we have a human nature. But what, what means spiritual life is really to come as close as possible, grow in Christ. And like Paul says, I, forgetting stuff that is behind, I, pro, I move on to the goal that I have. Uh, and this goal, uh, this goal, sorry, is uh, really to be as, as close to what Christ is. And he is our only model. And as Ellen White says, we have only a perfect uh, picture or photograph of God, and this is Jesus Christ. So he is our model. And as, as close as we come to him, imitating him, finally, our own thoughts would be very much in harmony, in line with Christ. And this is the idea of the Christian life. And that has an impact in society as well. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's, that's his desire, is that our minds should reflect his minds. They should be, uh, be in harmony. And there's a beautiful passage here in the writings of Paul that I think illustrates that nicely. Over in Philippians 4, verse number 8, he says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So the more that we fill our minds with those things that are noteworthy and praiseworthy and true and honest and just, the more our mind begins to go in that direction. And as, as Paul mentioned, those things that are behind tend to stay behind and we embrace those things that are, that are in front of us. What do you think about this, this verse and the, uh, the advice that Paul gives, Alberto? This is something amazing in my understanding for one simple reason. The problem of many Christians is that they expose themselves to whatever is, is good and whatever is wrong. And the good excuse for it is basically the idea that... Uh, well, you have to, to evaluate everything and retain what is good. Yes, but is in this process of exposing yourself to things that are not faith uplifting or that are detrimental to faith, you are being transformed also. And in this case, I would tell you that uh, 
uh, in reality, one of the most significant principles in my understanding of the Christian life is not that you become naive now, that you know what is going on, because in other words, then you would become like a, a living a aseptic life, like in the, the ancient uh, times where people uh, went out of uh, society to live in a cloister or something. That's not an idea. Uh, we can live and we should live in society, but uh, we should not expose our mind to these things that do not help us. And in this sense, we have to be selective in our knowledge. Because there is not something that, let's suppose, I will expose myself as much as I can to pornography. Imagine that I would be able to learn something and retain what is good. I think that this does not work at all. Because finally, you will end up having, uh, with good intentions, uh, immoral mind. And this is something that happens. The same thing happens when I go into the spiritualistic, mystical world. This is something outside the realms of the Bible. I can expose myself to it, but probably it will be just one-way road. You will not leave that kind. So be careful with this. We have to be informed, but not allow our, our minds to be uh, uh, exposed to what is really not the best thing. And there is something else. There is a tendency today among some scholars in Umberto Eco, uh, the famous uh, uh, guy from, from Italy, he even speaks about a selectiveness of knowledge. We were not made to be exposed to some, uh, such a huge amount of information that we have today. So we have to be selective in a certain way. We cannot digest everything, all the information. But for the Christian, I think that this is, we need some kind of principles, guidelines that will be safe for us so that we don't try to, to nourish both um, natures, as Paul says, the carnal nation or the flesh, and at the same time, the spiritual. And then you end up with, like a, um, James speaks, people that have a, a double mind or double-minded. And this, in my understanding, is the worst scenario that we could reach. Uh, with a, with a saints, you are saints. With a sinners, you are sinners as well. This doesn't work. No, not at all. It, it's been said that Christians ought to be in the world, but not of the world. So we need to be out That's there it. letting our light shine and being a witness to people. But if we're just like them and we do all the same things that they all do, there's not much of a witness that can be done. A friend told me once something that I liked very much. The boat was built not to dry land, but to the sea. But the boat is safe in the sea as long as the sea is not within the boat. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Let me share another passage here in, uh, in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 20 through 23. And it's a fascinating passage that I think draws this idea out again. Mark 7 verse 20 says, And Jesus said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. 
For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. What about that? Well, here, Jesus really went to the very point that we need to, to take into consideration for one simple reason. And that is, uh, of course, we need to have some kind of social political agenda in order to, to have the country running well, society, and so on. But we have to remember something. Prisons usually do not make people better. They can scare them and make them afraid of it. But the only thing that really helps, I'm not against prisons because we need to have them, otherwise we would be in danger as a society. But what really makes the difference is geographical uh, moves or changes do not transform people. You can be not so much exposed here, but what Jesus is touching is what really makes the difference is change your mind. If you change your mind, that will have really a huge effect on society. But people that are really honest in their most inner life, and remember that what, that character is what you are alone when you are in dark or whatever. Some people have different statements for this. But anyway, if you are honest by yourself, this will have an impact in society. But if I want just to impose some rules, but people are not into it, it will not change so much. I think that what Jesus is saying here, that true Christians will have a difference becoming the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And this is what we are lacking because today in the world we have nice speeches. But what about example? And our society, the new generation, wants to see examples. It's nice. I can speak, a, I mean, I can preach a nice sermon about how to love your enemies. But when, once my sermon is over and I, I meet a person that really is not so friendly with me, my sermon might be gone and back to real life. This is not the case. Uh, the world and the church, the world, would like to see in the life of the Christians the same co- consistency uh, of life that was in the founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ, who not only preached the truth, but he was the truth. Yeah, Alberto, as we're closing today, you shared a thought with me a little while ago about being prepared for the second coming of Christ. Would you share that with us? Yes, we should not only prepare ourselves for the second coming, but be ready for the second coming, because this idea of preparing can lead to postpone it, procrastination, and so on. We should be ready every single day, because this can be my last day. And not only for being my last day, because we love Lord, the Lord, and we want to respond to him in this way. So don't get prepared for the second coming. Be ready for Jesus. And we hope that these lessons are helping you to do that. We look forward to seeing you again next week as we continue our study on death, dying, and the future hope here on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. 